The boogeyman has haunted my family for 40 years and evil dies tonight. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Are you like buying drugs or something? If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the classic horror connoisseur, Sean. What if I accidentally swallow it? And the paranormal paramour, Binks. Just trying not to die, thanks. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Creepy Crate, makers of the horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. And speaking of creepy, this week we went back to the theater to check out a film inspired by a Stephen King story about a familiar childhood monster. In 1973, Cavalier Magazine published a Stephen King short story that followed a man consulting a psychiatrist about the deaths of his three young children, deaths he feel could have been prevented had he believed in the existence of a monster that has haunted children for generations. The story, later published in King's 1978 collection Night Shift, grappled with themes of adult guilt and fears, specifically those related to parenting and the safety of children. This week's film takes things a step further, boasting an intricate fabric woven with grief, family, and the struggle to be understood. The film explores the lives of a teenage girl, her younger sister, and their father, each grappling with a profound loss and a cryptic presence that's made itself at home in the walls of their own house. This week, we're talking about The Boogeyman. What were you all expecting going into this? So I had heard of Stephen King's The Boogeyman, but I hadn't actually read it until after seeing this movie. I expected this to do, obviously, like a better rendition of The Boogeyman and all of its other versions that exist in media. And I also, I obviously, like, just didn't really expect it to be a full-on copy of the short story either. But one thing's for sure, I was definitely anticipating some gnarly jump scares that would for sure get me, because I am unashamed to admit this, but I am insanely afraid of the dark. I don't even know why I decided to watch this movie back to back. (laughs) One time I watched it at night. That was a terrible idea. And then I watched it earlier today in the daylight. Better idea. But I have to say, even the second time around, I was expecting it to not scare me as much. And some of them jump scares still got me. They still got me, y'all. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I have not seen any of the other various Boogeyman films that have released over the years outside of the 2005 Boogeyman with the dude from Seventh Heaven. Yes, yes. Terrible, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Just going off of that movie, I did also read the short story, but also like you, Binks, it was after watching this film. So really the expectation that I had was also that it was going to be filled with some good jump scares, that evil lurking in the darkness. Uh, it, it could easily also fall into the category of just another generic horror film. So I don't, I, I was, I don't know if I was what I was expecting. Like I, I, I want it to be really creepy, really dark and really cool. It's also PG 13, I believe. So you just never know. See, generic is exactly what I was expecting. I don't remember seeing very many trailers for this. I remember experiencing it a couple times and I really liked the artwork of the film. And there's a young girl in the movie who has like this spherical orb of light And I remember that moment very distinctly. But aside from that, I expected this to be a more polished, a more refined Darkness Falls, so to speak. I'll say that this movie is another movie that managed to make me feel a lot of intense things. It really blends a lot of creepy moments with some deeper emotions that maybe I want to just keep locked away for a little bit. But I think above all that, it does a really good job of creating atmosphere and immediately showing you the stakes are pretty high. Because when this movie opens and what it opens with, I was like, damn, bro. And it has plenty of things that are creepy, spooky, and chilling. But I don't think it leans so hard in that direction that it would be difficult for you to get your non-horror friends into, right? Like this is PG-13. It seems pretty palatable and uh, accessible to the masses. Yeah, I I think 100%. This one really came out guns blazing in the first couple of minutes, and then that title hit, and it really just set the tone for the film. I was admittedly a little bit worried after that opening scene because the pace slowed down a little bit. I don't want to say it turned into a slow burn during the during the the next, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, but it really felt like a really dark, really heavy film. 
to your point, Chris, and, and I think you said it while we were watching the movie, this one felt like a better version of Darkness Falls. So, yeah, definitely. But where's the bar with that, if we can be real honest, you know? Is the, is the bar already, like, <laughs> you know, pretty pretty low when it comes to Darkness Falls? Or I, Not that I'm disagreeing. Remember, I like Darkness Falls. When you think about what you felt watching Darkness Falls for the first time, not you specifically, but like the general you who really enjoyed that movie in the early 2000s, it was a spooky movie that really preyed on the darkness and the shadows, and it had a very young, vulnerable child at the center of the film and a couple people who were trying to thwart this threat. So the suspense was there. When you think about the bar of things... I mean, sure, it doesn't take much to make it better, but I think it does do quite a bit to take something as silly as being called the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of room for error there. Well, I mean, it's already a a step above just being called the boogeyman because there really isn't anything scary about the fucking tooth fairy. And there it is. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's true. I think when I was watching this movie, I, I definitely felt shocked at the very first couple moments i remember like gasping the second time around i still was like clenching my teeth just a little bit because i obviously knew what was coming right so that's fine but um the pacing overall was at a great speed in my opinion so i was i was hooked in the whole way through i think obviously i talked about the jump scares nailed it out of the park I was shitting bricks, so that's <laughs> fine. And as anticipated, I'm watching this in a theater that's fully in the dark about a movie where something in the dark is going to get you. It was bound to happen. But one thing that I didn't feel, which I think is pretty interesting that you guys have brought up already, is like there's a serious undertone of like grief. Um, the The plot, I think, is trying to be just very serious overall. And it didn't re- really fully crack my my heart, you know. Like maybe I'm just stone cold, but I I wasn't really buying in. And I've had my fair share of loss, literally in just the last two months. So I don't know what's going on with maybe me, but I just didn't fully buy into it. I think it was a little forced, right? And actually, that's kind of what was my disappointment. That I think there was a lot of potential for this movie to really get deeper, get more sinister, almost, and like take this premise that King did with his short story into high gear. Even though I read this short story after having watched it the first time, I still kind of felt like, what is missing from this movie when I first watched it? And now having read the short story and then I saw it again, I was like, maybe that's it. I just wanted it to be like a lot grittier and a lot harder. But then again, I guess something I didn't acknowledge, honestly, is that it is a PG-13 movie though. So eh, there's that. But Funny that we're talking about Darkness Falls. Maybe the other like missing piece of the puzzle for me is like this movie was just giving 2000s plot, you know, brought with a modern day budget. Because the thing about 2000s movies is that they all tried to be pretty like deep and meaningful. But now we watch some of them and like, oh, this is just simple. You know, it's not not much to it. There's no like meat and potatoes to this plot. And that's maybe what this film was giving. And it's not a bad thing. Just... I don't know. Maybe that's what I'm I'm piecing together right now. I'm going to have a lot more to say on that subject, specifically when we break down the originality of the movie. But I am more surprised that you didn't feel literally anything. But again, maybe it's just I'm in a very raw place and you're further along on this journey than I am. Because, <laughs> man, that shit got me. It got me. I was crying. Yes, Sean saw me cry. It was an absolutely absurd bundle of emotions. And I think it was more effective doing that for me than a smile ever was, for example. I was really surprised and really pleasantly surprised by the performances that we get in the movie. Because even though I was going in expecting generic, I think it was those performances that kept it from feeling completely generic. Yeah. I see where you're coming from, Binks, too. But I think where... The difference is in they took this early 2000s vibe or whatever kind of backbone of a story that they would have used in the early 2000s for a horror film. But I think the difference in this one and maybe even the difference in what is coming out now is there just seems in all the ones that we've been reviewing and granted some of them aren't new releases, but like it feels like there's just a lot of family grief 
subjects that we're that we're diving into and and so i think that makes it a little bit more heavy but i was actually surprised at how invested in the film i actually was again like you chris thinking it could be a generic film but the characters like while the overall recipe was kind of generic the character development for me was done really well. I really felt for some of these characters. I thought the way they told the story, even if it was on the verge of being a slow burn film for me, it was entertaining and it kept me invested. I was also surprised by this, and it's not a spoiler, but there was a moment where there were three words said that I never expect to hear in a horror movie. And that was, I believe you. Mm. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Damn. Damn, that's fresh. Yeah. That is fresh. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though. I need everyone to believe me when I say that these jump scares will get you if you're afraid of the dark. That's for sure. Okay, I really want to unpack this because I didn't find anything in this movie scary, but I for sure thought it was creepy. I love the way they play with the darkness and how you can see some things in the in the background compared to the foreground. There's some glistening eyeballs every once in a while that fucking got me. So I felt mm-hmm. tension, but I really want to know what was it about it? What was it about those jump scares that got you? Bruh, what? What do you mean? Yeah, if I saw two glaring little dots in my closet, I'd be f- fucking screaming. That's for sure. I mean, first of all, I've also seen Midnight Mass that recently. And not to spoil anything, but there's a little bit of that. And it's not fun. More importantly, I should have maybe led with this is like Rob Savage is to me one of the better directors when it comes to jump scares. I loved Host and I saw that in the daylight and I was terrified. I almost fell off my couch when I watched it and it was like 12 p.m. So I think for him, the way that he does jump scares where they're just so rapidly fast and he doesn't overdo it is extremely effective. So there are scenes in this in this movie where it's kind of in, in that method where you don't necessarily anticipate it, but it happens so quickly. I don't know. I, I, it just, wow, I'm shocked that it didn't scare you at all. Like it didn't even get you, not once. I was too busy being sad. Oh, and I was too busy not. I'll tell you one thing, though. I, I was here thinking that maybe, you know, being a part of this podcast and like, obviously, I've always loved horror, but watching it so frequently, I was going to be like, eh, it's not going to get me. And it still got me. And I'm like... I still got it. I still got the fear. You are not numb. I'm not numb entirely. That's not a bad thing. It allows you to at least be uh, immersed into the movie, right? And I, I think while this may not be super frightening, I guess for lack of a better term, horror fanatics like us, right? I, I can definitely see this one being frightening for the average horror viewer. The film is going to play off of the things that frightened you as a child. There are some decent jump scares. There's some great play off of the lighting. I can see people wanting to keep the lights on after this one. We talk about like gateway horror films. And to me, this is actually a really good gateway to horror film or horror films, in my opinion, because it's not too light on the horror. And it's also lacking the depths of some really intense horror films that play off of your psyche. Right. Which, again, when thinking of these main characters and their children, especially the the younger one, right, Sawyer, man, when I was her age, absolutely, I don't trust what the heck I'm seeing. I don't, I can't make, my imagination is running wild. I can't make sense of what I'm looking at when I look at the closet, all those other things. So watching this film, I, th- I think it just brought all that back. And granted, I admitted I'm very afraid of the dark, so I still have those issues to this day as a 30-year-old woman. But again, watching this movie and kind of putting myself in the shoes of the little girl, I'm like, oh, yep, I remember that. Not fun. And I contemplated buying some of the accessories that she uses in her room (laughs) because they're effective. I mean, hey, you got to protect yourself however you find fit. You know, watching so much of this closet action really threw me back to how amazing it was to have my personal boogeyman, Michael Myers, in a closet in the 2018 Halloween. And I just kept thinking, damn, that babysitter deserved better. (laughs) Let's talk about it, though, because we've talked a lot about how this movie feels reminiscent of other movies. And in reality, folks, like if you haven't seen this movie yet, there isn't a lot in here that you're going to find so incredibly different. This movie is Smile meets Megan meets Lights Out meets Darkness Falls with a dash of Pennywise from It. And the reality is it's the boogeyman. It's monsters in the closet. It's monsters and creatures under the bed. We've seen these things before. 
We've also seen people haunted after a traumatic event and having to escape the clutches of a supernatural evil that's hunting them down. None of this is the first time you're going to ever see it in a movie. But personally, I don't think it's a bad thing because while it didn't do it first, I think in many cases it did do it better. Because hmm. that's my thing. I, I agree with a lot of the references that you made. I also thought of them like they're glaring, especially smile. I even wrote it follows in terms of the lore that, that it, it describes as well. Like, I just think in general that this movie didn't necessarily uh, add anything new to the genre. But it's it's not bad. I don't think that's a bad thing, like you're saying. It's just nothing new, which is okay. It happens. Yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel to be successful. That's for sure. And and while it's not getting full originality points by any means, because, yeah, it is a new adaptation of Stephen King's short story, which has already been made into a short film and reimagined. But what I think they did well was telling the story in a new and modern way and they did take when you know after reflecting on the short story and and seeing like where all of this kind of you know came to be they did a good job really trying to figure out how they can add more depth into the story and really tell it from a different point of view and i i was worried at first it was going to feel much like the 2005 boogeyman but they aren't really the same and i it felt fresh. So I'll give it some originality points just for that aspect. You know, some other points I want to give it are points to that ending because it was cathartic. It was suspenseful and it cleaned things up pretty nicely for me. I had no complaints. Yeah. I'll say it was a great culmination of all of the feelings and themes and a little bit of action all at once. I mean, predictable, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good time and also the best visual effects. Not going to explain why, but I was a big fan big big fan of that yeah there really is nothing to be mad at with the ending it gives you some intensity it gives you some feel-good moments it gives you a little something ominous at the end which i really enjoyed it's it's it was overall a pretty successful ending well let's go ahead and see if that translates well to its rating now before we actually score this movie sean how would you describe the gore score Okay, well, this is the boogeyman we're talking about here. So we know that the boogeyman lives in the shadows, in the dark, if you will. So with that, you don't really get to see a lot of the gore from the kills in this one. It's also PG-13, so they had to tone it down a bit, I suppose. But either way, this one is easily getting a low gore score. And what about the animal report? The boogeyman does not hurt animals, so we're all safe. Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. The boogeyman from 2023... Was it a hack or a slash? You know, after my first watch, I was actually really torn on how to feel about this film because I, I think I went in hoping I would be frightened but expected a deeper sense of plot and dread and horror like I talked about. And even after reading King's short story and watching this film again, I can see the potential. I said it earlier. I can see where it could have gone darker. But I do need to keep in mind, PG-13, Bianca, PG-13. Everything can't be dark and gloomy, so it's fine, you know? That being said, although it didn't really change the game in the genre, and it certainly wasn't a standout King adaptation in my opinion, it is entertaining and effectively frightened both me and the audience both times that I saw this movie, and I can see how I would definitely be scared for sure if I was watching it by myself or at home. So, look, not every horror movie has to be groundbreaking and all that, and I can see how it's definitely ripped uh, some some influences, for sure, for horror movies now that are going on. But it really did give that nostalgia of the simple 2000s horror film plots. And I love 2000s horror films, so it's a slash for me. Nice. Yeah, I got to admit, I was worried about this being pretty basic, but I found myself really enjoying the story in this one. Uh, again, Chris, you said it. It is a better version of Darkness Falls. I was invested in the main characters. I was rooting for them at times. I loved the play off of the lighting and the shadows throughout the film. The pacing changed tempo a couple of times, but overall, I had a good time watching this one, and I'm going to give it a slash. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed to find anything offensive about this movie in terms of its quality. It has a great cast, and I think really the ability to have characters that make you invested in them and rooting for them and not against them, it really created an experience where I had none of the frustrations that I had watching Smile, for example. This movie may be standard fare. 
right? It's a PG-13 film. It's not going to scare the daylights out of you unless maybe you do have a specific phobia of the dark and closets, so to speak. But the reality is, is that it takes a piece of childhood lore and does something impressive with it. And how many times could you really expect to have a good movie called The Boogeyman? For it to be in the same realm as Michael Myers, I'm not mad at it. And for that, it gets a slash. Now, with that, The Boogeyman from 2023 has earned a universal slash. You can find this movie playing now in theaters, but if you're listening to this post its theatrical run, you can click the link in our show notes to find where you can find it streaming now. We'll see you in a bit. As we dive into our review of the chilling adaptation of Stephen King's The Boogeyman, we've got a special treat for all you horror aficionados out there. Imagine this. Every two months, a box arrives at your doorstep. Not just any box, but a creepy crate filled to the brim with over $85 worth of horror and true crime collectibles. It's like a horror anthology in a box with each item telling its own spine-tingling tale. We're talking about eerie stickers, spooky accessories, and books that will make your skin crawl. Just like the master of horror himself, Stephen King, each creepy crate is a suspenseful surprise keeping you on the edge of your seat. We recently received a crate that included some horror goodies like a Captain Spaulding tote, a ginger snaps patch, and a horror novel that would make even King proud. And the best part? This bi-monthly box of dread is only $39.99 with free shipping. So if you love the thrill of a good horror story, whether it's on the screen or on the page, Creepy Crate is for you. Head over to creepycrate.store to subscribe. And because we're all part of the Hacker Slash family, use the promo code SLASH5 at checkout to save $5 off your first order. That's creepycrate.store and use the code SLASH5. Embrace the terror and unbox your own horror story with Creepy Crate. Welcome back, folks. You're now entering the spoiler zone for The Boogeyman, which is earned a universal slash. We have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through the kills. We have a total of five kills in this one. Granted, not much is really seen, and two are completely off screen, but five nonetheless. Uh, So let's dive into them. What were your favorite kills? Well, I'll say RIP to Lester, because, you know, he was just out here trying to go to therapy (laughs) <laughs> Try to do his best. I don't think he necessarily knew what he was doing, but oh, debatable. What? What was he? I don't know. Like, all right, all right. Maybe he was seeking help, but also that was pretty intense. Like he 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 went and hung himself in. Did he hang himself? Oh, for sure. The the boogeyman hung his ass. The boogeyman hung his ass. But let's talk about it. Hold on a second, because but why the fuck did he go in there? Thank you. My curiosity is. Okay, actually, hold on. Let's let's dive off just a side bit. We're going to veer off just a little bit. There are plot holes in this film. Okay, let's get into it later on, but I will <laughs> come back to it. One being this moment where he went into that room, the mom's art room, where there are clearly massive windows and they are drawn up. Like what happened there that you were then drawn into the closet and got murked by the boogeyman? Like you caused a ruckus yourself in that art room and then said, oh, I think... He's in the closet and and got snatched. Like I don't know. It didn't make sense. The boogeyman would have not left that closet and ran around and messed up that art room because the windows were drawn open. Yeah, but in reality, he and his wife pretty uh pretty unstable given all the loss they've had. Oh yeah. Who knows if he was trying to fucking contend with the boogeyman from the room and just like, fucked up the room? Maybe intentional or not, he still brought that fucker into the house. So screw that guy. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I don't know. I was just like, man. Yeah. You feed a stray cat once and it never leaves. He fed the boogeyman in that house. This is probably on brand for me, but the little fucking baby in the beginning is definitely of course. is definitely the best kill because it's the most shocking and it set the whole tone for the whole fucking film. I was shocked. I think you were right there, Chris. I was like, what? We both were like, are you serious? Yes. Okay. Far be it for me to want a baby to die in a movie, Sean. But holy shit, that one was the most impactful because it was also the most fucking sad yeah the movie opening was so intense and the whispering voice 
so spooky. I know. Calling to that little precious angel. She knows something's wrong. She's crying for her dad. She's crying for her parents. And the boogeyman is calling himself daddy. Disgusting and also fucking horrifying. That poor little precious angel. I won't say she's my favorite kill, but I will say that was the one that made me feel the fucking most. Yeah. Fairy kill, though, goes to Lester's wife, Mm. Mrs. Billings. Because listen, she was trying to channel her Lori Strode. She was trying to channel the boogeyman has haunted my family for 40 years and evil dies tonight. It didn't really work out for her. But you know what? She got her. She got, she got what was coming to her. Yeah, snapped in half. Yeah, she tried. I'll give it to her. She definitely tried. She she went down fighting. So you can't you can't really falter for that. Listen, yeah, it was a great effort, but she did use that girl as bait. She probably could have just like, well, you know, asked for some kind of level of consent. I don't know. Could have what? No, get out of here. No, could have what? No. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Okay, you got to do what you got to do because <laughs> evil dies tonight. All right, and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, evil dies tonight, but not at her hands. Yeah, well, it was an attempt. (laughs) And it was an attempt that obviously did not work out for her because she's the one that got snapped in half. I will say that in the second watch that I just had earlier, I stared at at that scene and I looked to my mom and she was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I was like, come on, mom, you know that monster's like everyone knows, right? Because we know the principles of things, which is you got to double tap. And she like thought that she double tapped. No, you needed to like quadruple double tap, like make sure that that fucker is dead. And how is there all this fire and you don't think to to use it? In that moment, Chekhov's fire. You fucking say that fire has exist. It was one of man's first inventions and first weapons. And right. you don't think that that's what you should fucking use? Fire, fire, fire power. I'm going to use guns to solve my boogeyman problems. What? No. Fire. That's America. That's America right there. Well, yeah, no kidding. He's my guns. <laughs> But I will say, Boogeyman's demise at the end, or supposed, I guess, demise, was pretty cool because those sisters were, like, really, really tag-teaming it. She threw that little spray can or whatever. She caught it instantly. She threw that lighter in slow motion. It was giving. It definitely was. I'm surprised at how quickly that can ran out of juice, though. I feel like maybe they used, like, a, a a quarter tank hairspray can. Again, plot holes. But whatever. I digress. Who said it was a full can to begin with? Well, that's what I'm saying. It just sucks, you know? It just sucks. What a shame they didn't have a fresh stock. Clearly, they don't go to Costco or BJ's. You could have had multiple cans. I will say, though, just going back to the intensity of that of that um, little toddler or baby dying, like, and you're talking, Chris, about, like, crying out for help. I think once you read the short story, you're going to feel even more around that whole scenario. And you'll probably hate Lester even more because there was a insane amount of neglect that led to the demise of that family. And man, it's just so sad. If there's anything we know about a horror family, it's that the father will always be neglectful in some capacity. And now I think I'm going to tap out of opting into that short story. Thank you so much. (laughs) This doesn't make it any better, but it was like intentional neglection. Yeah. Like he's like, I know I could do something about this, but this kid needs to get tough. Needs to get tough and needs to learn and then dies. But But here's my thing. This is where I was hoping... Now, having read the short story and I, that I saw it again, I was like, oh, my God, this would have been fantastic. Like, granted, probably not all about Lester. <laughs> like, not right. everything about Lester should have been adapted. But something to that effect would have been really great. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm not always about the flashbacks, right? But I think it would have been really cool to continue to see a little bit of that in how they went down because the whole other child we don't even necessarily get to see supposedly die of SIDS and whatnot. So it, I think it would have been a cool opportunity to get a little darker and, and deeper because the neglect in the short story is out of hand, but clearly a theme, you know? Yeah. Worst dad of the year award? <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Listen, if they chose to if they chose to incorporate more of the short story into I guess, I don't know if it's the middle of the movie, but when Lester goes into the house to, you know, do that impromptu therapy session and starts talking about what was happening, just like in the short, then they could have done those flashbacks and kind of dove into some quick scenes on what happened to his family. And that could have been pretty effective. For sure. And I don't think it would have taken too much time. Like, yeah, it might have extended the movie another 
I don't know, 20 minutes, but it wouldn't have been too much, I don't think. There are other scenes that I think we could have done without that, to me, were kind of like a waste of a moment. But I completely agree. You know, Lester's design as a whole, I was not a fan of. For some reason, I looked at him and immediately thought Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne. Oh my gosh, I was about to say fucking Batman of some kind, or in the Batman universe. It was emo Batman, and I wasn't a fan of that. But I will say, that was one of very few shortcomings in terms of the visuals of this movie, because I fucking loved the design of the boogeyman and the closet work in this movie. There's nothing scarier than a door that's slightly ajar. Okay, and that's where I'm like, how are you going to tell me that you weren't afraid at all? Because it wasn't my door that was slightly ajar. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. In my house, we close all the doors. Same. And if all of a sudden a door was slightly ajar, I'd probably leave my whole home. I mentioned it already, but I really enjoyed the way they played off of the lighting throughout the film. And it's kind of touching on what you said, Chris, with the, the, you know, just the closet work and just the way that they had even the boogeyman moving through the shadows in the darkness, just seeing those eyes peering out of the darkness was really great. Even when the light is going in and out and it's getting closer and closer. See, that is also where it makes it better than Darkness Falls because Darkness Falls gave you too much visual and not enough dark, like play on the darkness and the shadows. Yes, yes. And can we just say one time for Mr. Boogeyman himself, who, like his cousin the Babadook, chose to come out of a closet, except the Boogeyman came out of his closet in Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, Boogie. Good job. (laughs) I I even enjoyed the subtle reflection of the Boogeyman in the TV screen as Sawyer's like hiding on the couch. Like just the, it, it was so intentional the way that they allowed you to see the Boogeyman and it was never like, yeah, you got some direct shots when he, when it got up close or whatnot, but it wasn't that much. And just most of the time it was just very subtle and you actually had to look for it. Yes. Oh my gosh. The long hallway when Sawyer is holding her orb and you see the boogeyman just lurking behind her. Yep, exactly. That was terrible, terrible, terrible. So good. But again, it reminds me of when I was a kid in my grandparents' house in their trailer, that long hallway, any long hallway will always fuck me up no matter what. And I really am considering getting that little orb the little moon orb because it's genius and and she's she's a genius just like rolling that thing around to be able to see light as you go smart wish i had that thought okay no i i have to contest this because <laughs> it was effective under the bed i get it poor girl hurt her shoulder hurt her mouth she fell out of the bed i get it but i'm sorry when you choose to roll this thing down the hallway and then it banks right yeah you have to go get it poor decision it's not remote controlled And now you have to go get it in a doorway, which you have not personally seen. The boogeyman could be right over there to the right. No. Okay. But why would you go get it if all of a sudden it bent to the right and you didn't control it? If anything, that's my sign to be like, oh, nope, not going there. But then where's your light source the rest of the movie, babes? Are we are we are we going to get into that? Because I mean, that was genius for the moon, but there were other light source scenarios that just made zero sense to me. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We're going (laughs) to... We're going to get into those for sure. But you know what would have been really effective in this movie? A fucking headlamp. That would have been the moment. Going back to Boogeyman, though, super quickly, his design as a monster was so incredible, but it reminded me of this video game, Until Dawn. It's one of my favorite video games. Like the the Windigos that happen, it was similar as hell to that. Like the creepy, I don't know, thin, crawly nature of it was a vibe loved it and then obviously in a way it reminded me of smiles like lollipop like the the monster from smile that jaw unhinging was spectacular but then also the fact that there's something within it that is just holding the face i don't know i wasn't anticipating that it was really good really really good i also want to talk about the red light therapy session which was visually Really cool, but also one of my favorite scenes because and we were we were talking about it in the moment. The therapist face 
was fucking creepy as hell. That was the scariest part of that whole scene. I wasn't afraid of the fucking boogeyman coming up from behind the kids. I was afraid of the therapist's evil-ass fucking grin standing over them in the red light. And let's be clear, she has a beautiful smile, but ma'am, sit down. Stay down. No need to be moving around. Wait, wait, so you guys thought it was fun... Wait, sorry, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm actually shocked. So you guys thought it was frightening. The theater laughed both times that her face showed up they just started broken to laughter both times that i saw this movie when she shows up in that scene everyone lost it laughing including myself i didn't find it scary at all i thought it was hilarious it was like it almost broke the intensity for me because it was like why does this woman look like she's having the time of her life right now yeah. like it's she looked like she was so happy like it's working it's doing great while sawyer is falling apart peeing her pants because like same i would be too that's what makes it scary. I don't know. The theater disagreed both <laughs> times. I thought she was smiling to encourage, but I didn't fe- find it frightening. I just thought it looked fucking cool. And I felt bad for this girl. And I'm like, bro, sit your ass down. Like, you don't need to be standing up to prove your point. I think maybe even the lack of motion would help show her that nothing is happening in the dark. But no, I don't think there was any laughter in our theater for that scene. There wasn't any reactions at all in our theater, to be honest. Yeah, there was like a little bit of laughter, like when Sawyer would say something funny, but that's about it. Sure, sure, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. There's a couple times they laughed, but this was the main one where that be- they broke into laughter both times. But I, I got to agree, Sean, this is my favorite scene for sure. Because at least aside from that moment that kind of killed it for me, just a smidge or didn't really kill it, right? It was just funny. I thought it was so 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 good so visually beautiful i resonated with sort of the most in that moment because i would have been falling apart and honestly we've talked about it a bit in the podcast right i'm very deathly afraid like i wouldn't say deathly afraid but it doesn't it feels like death to me when i hear the song from insidious and so i kind of think of the premise of like that exposure therapy a bit and how this movie kind of talks to you a bit about facing your fears and like confronting them head on. And then the undertone of that is like facing the fear of being alone or grief, right? So I think that was a great way to tie that all in. But on a superficial level, I was like, man, if I had to basically be in a room where they were playing that song constantly, I also would probably pee my pants. So you know what? It's a vibe. I I get it. I see you, Sawyer. Man. Okay. So speaking of being alone and being alone in the dark, I'm going to go with my favorite scene, which is the one that had me the most concerned. Because for as much as you may go into this expecting some level of plot armor for the core family, Sawyer scared the hell out of me. And I really thought from the first time that she got nabbed by the boogeyman underneath the bed, I thought we were going to have like the ghost of Sawyer this whole fucking time. But when she is in the living room after Sadie's friends storm out from the sleepover or the little party and she's playing PlayStation, the boogeyman is there and throwing her around the fucking room. Yeah. I was so scared for her life. Not like in the frightening way, but I'm like, a, I'm going to walk out if Leia Organa dies. <laughs> My little baby Leia. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. She's too precious. It, it was a wild scene. And that was, I mean, it's just the whole intensity of even that happening and how it was lurking around and she could see the reflection and you're super scared. Think about being that age and that fucking happening to you. That's crazy. No, what's actually fucked is why was this little girl playing with no lights downstairs in the living room? Why, like, I, that's the part that, again, another plot hole in this fucking movie. This woman just literally got terrified, got, you know... Uh, ran for her money in the dark seeing all kinds of things numerous times and then thinks it's a great idea to be in the left alone in the living room playing playstation like same that was also me but i had all the lights on in the living room despite playing a video game for her though for figuring out which button makes the screen brighter with a certain action and then using that to see if the boogeyman was there yeah (laughs) no she's she's smart for her age for sure i just think like I don't know. I would have anticipated that she also, for being so smart, would have had other light forms with her because that living room was darker than her actual bedroom when she hangs out there or falls asleep. So it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. After she had already confronted and seen the boogeyman, I think, twice at that point. So seemed sus. Seemed a little sus. This is true. But you know what? We did talk about the father. We can kind of get into him a little bit. That's another negligent motherfucker. That's for sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what? It's tough with the father because at first I also was like, yeah, no, this guy, fuck this guy. Look what he's doing. He's neglecting his kids. But then it's also, I, I start to realize that like it, he's dealing with grief too. Like he lost the love of his life. And now he's left to try to take care of two kids by himself, which he never even felt a hundred percent prepared for on his own. And having to deal with them grieving too and it's just hard and i get it he's a therapist and he's like bouncing his daughter off to another therapist and not even acknowledging wanting to talk to her but like i kind of see both sides i'm not necessarily erring on his side by any means but i can see where he's coming from a little bit yeah it's very much the concept of in order for you to help the person beside you when you experience turbulence on the plane you have to put your mask on before you can put anyone else's mask on and this motherfucker had no idea how to get his own mask on. It seems like maybe there was a concern of like, if he were to talk about this with his kids, he's not in the place where he's processed it yet, where he's processed it yet. And I wonder if he had the concern of being too clinical with his kids, which then he overcompensated and went the extreme opposite direction, which was to not acknowledge it at all, which is not healthy. So, I mean, I'm not saying he was great. But I am saying it was an interesting dynamic between the two of them. And I'm glad we got the resolution we did with them as a family to all get to the point of talking about it. But I think that was the shit that made me feel this the most because I get it. Like the, the constant pressure of like, you need to talk about it. You need to talk about it. You need to talk about it. You're like, I'm not fucking ready to talk about it yet. Chill out. I've only, you know, maybe you have to be a little bit more open when you have children who are experiencing the same fucking thing you are, bro. Yeah, because... I like the analogy that you put in terms of putting the mask on yourself before you help others. It's not even that he knew how to put the mask on. It came off like he just didn't want to put the mask on and say, like, as someone in the profession, I feel like they would know the consequences of something like that, though, because like you actively are choosing not to deal with this, knowing that it would potentially affect your children. And I like this particular scene where Sadie is talking to her father and trying to get a little bit deeper and he instantly shuts her down and is like, did you have your therapist appointment tomorrow or whatever, right? And she says that she wishes that she could have just talked to him or like she was trying to talk to him. Like it's it's so sad and it's a good opportunity to think about like grief affects the person and it's hard to also take care of other people when it affects you. I just feel like there's a responsibility there as a parent though, as tough as it is. For sure, there's a responsibility, but, you know, parents are imperfect. And I think there are so many times, you know, even myself growing up, that we don't really talk about mental health. It's like a whispered word. Or we feel like we have to talk a little bit lower if we talk about anxiety or depression or panic attacks. So I think this is not a good scenario. It's not the ideal scenario, but it certainly is. I think one of the better examples we've seen of a family coming together to get through something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, just as I said before, like the character development was kind of really good in this film. Like it really allowed for some relatable moments and to really be invested in the family's fight for survival and really invested in seeing their being able to reconcile and, and, and bring the bring the family back together, if you will. I tell you what, though. Can we get a little shout out for our girl, Salen, who was the medium and host who helped them with the seance. And then she was in the instructional video that said he was looking at on YouTube. Yeah. That's where she's from. Oh, my God. Both times. And I was like, man, who is this woman? Yeah. I even tried to pay attention to the YouTube description the second time around because I was like, I need to discover who this woman is. What I do want to see is on a second watch is if it is the same exact name. I want to see if it's a continuity link between host and the boogeyman. Like, do these exist in the same universe? Since she's a medium or a clairvoyant in both. The Rob Savage cinematic universe. That'd be incredible. I'm here for it. But also, I feel like Sawyer had some really funny moments that made me laugh out loud a little bit, which was a good thing to really cut the intensity in this horror film. But she also had some moments where she expressed some really impressive fear and terror on her face. I was genuinely impressed. And I, I can't remember exactly which scene it was, but she was horrified and I was fully bought in to that. Oh my gosh. Bless her little precious sweet baby angel heart. I will watch anything that this girl is in. 
A hundred percent. I think she has an amazing career ahead of her. She's so expressive, but she really did a great job of balancing that comedy, just like you said. When someone can be so vulnerable, but also so smart for their age, you know what I mean? So witty, so present. I really adored her, and I'm so glad. Like, this movie, had it been rated R and gotten a little bit more intense, maybe it would have killed one of the sisters. I'm really glad that wasn't the case. I could have maybe landed with a dead dad if she, if one of the sisters was 18. But I really think she was such a standout in this movie. And I'm sorry, when she had the wherewithal to grab the Christmas lights and wrap them around herself, so good. <laughs> okay. Plot hole number 5,400. Because how is it that the house has no power to turn on the, the lights, but yet the Christmas lights are working? Maybe it's not about power. Maybe the boogeyman broke all the bulbs. Maybe it's just those electrical sockets. Maybe. I think you're finding, you're reaching... My disbelief is suspended. I don't find the need to poke holes in that. I, okay, I could see both sides of that. Where I where I had faults in this Christmas light thing was how she even had the time to run an extension cord throughout the entire fucking house to get to the closet. That Damn. is the one thing that went through my head. Not not the power thing, but that was good. But it was literally like, how the fuck did she get this fucking extension cord all the way in there without dying? Look at look at us Virgos. Us <laughs> us Virgos are like powering up. We've just like fist bun. We're just like ready to. <laughs> Tear the, all the plot holes <laughs> to shreds. <laughs> Listen, she said that obviously she saw her dad get dragged down to the basement and the boogeyman had this guy. Sadie was able to walk into that house unarmed and unbothered, unfazed. Like she was obviously concerned, but she wasn't under any immediate threat. I imagine the same thing just happened for Sawyer. Like the boogeyman named her dad and then ran out and she was probably rushing around. But also the boogeyman just wasn't grabbing her because he already had her dad. You sound like the boogeyman's lawyer. <laughs> if that if that's how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be. But I, again, nothing about that distracted me from the vibe of the movie. You know what? Not distracted me, but quite frankly, pissed me the hell off, though. And it didn't, like, kill the vibe, but I wanted to kill these freaking girls. The, the blonde or whatever. Fuck those girls. Oh, the school friends? Oh, my God. The school friends were such... They were the worst. Such trash beyond anything i've ever seen especially the best friends i'm glad she told her when was the last time we hung out what my mom's funeral not a good friend sorry yeah toss it to the right especially if you are still associating with someone who made comments like they did when she had just come back from her first day of school or like from from obviously grieving and whatnot it's her first day of school and tries to pull some shit put like shoves her into the locker and you still Want to be keeking with her? That's not a friend. That's not even an acquaintance. I say again, fuck those girls. Oh, my Lord. I couldn't believe it. The gaslighting, the insanity. I know. And here's another thing, though. I will say, when she got slapped, oh. I was I could have burst into applause. What a good slap, too. Man, it just, that sound just rang. It rang right into the veins. I loved it. Loved every bit. <laughs> I really did. But if this was a rated R movie, I would have loved even more for the boogeyman to have gotten her somehow when she was like going down the stairs because again, it was dark in the living room. It would have been real cool. I would have, I would have continued to sit in that theater and watch this movie for a few more minutes of just like complete terror just to fuck that girl up. I'll be real. It didn't even have to be rated R for that. That's a good point. They could have padded the body count. Yeah. That whole friend group. You're right. They could have. Man, that would have been actually really good. Really, the only thing is it would have really created a problem with legal responsibility. It was going to create some longstanding issues if that family had to also deal with the death of those girls in their house. True. Where were the fucking police when these gunshots are blazing through this house in this nice little quiet neighborhood? <laughs> just so ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, no way this shotgun just going off willy-nilly and there's no fucking cops coming to check it out. That's crazy. Or at least a phone call to the cops. Jeez. Okay, speaking of this fucking shotgun ringing out, listen... This movie is pretty good, but the worst part of it is Rita Billings channeling her inner Laurie Strode, Evil Dying Tonight, and the movie expecting us to believe that Sadie would be able to hear after the gunshot was fired so close to her ear or not be hit 
with any of the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, but hello, I'm thinking to myself, why is Sadie acting so chill after a freaking gun, just a rifle or whatever the hell it was, just rang right next to her ear and she's like, oh, I guess I'm going to have some friends over. <laughs> Which, by the way, the theater also laughed at that quick cut scene between like them having the stereotypical like, oh my God, hi, and then went straight to the nothing's going on. Oh, yeah. They also lost it laughing. That, I mean, that, that was a funny moment, but... Listen, it's because the actress who plays Sadie has seen much worse in Yellow Jackets. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. You know what? You brought it up, so I'm going to say my worst part, which is all of these plot holes. I think there's a lot of questionable things that you have done a great job of trying to defend, Chris, truly, but I'm, I'm still going to say that they're pretty shitty. But regardless of that, this is where the 2000s-ness comes in, right? Because 2000s movies notoriously also have some ridiculous plot holes in, like, things that suspend your disbelief for sure so it's it's a good thing i would say for this film ultimately yeah i think for me the worst part really is that we just didn't get to see more of the kills or just maybe more kills i don't know i I, to, to your point chris i think if the dad were to have died i think that could have been pretty heavy but i also think like just talking through this now like if any of those school friends died i just think there was an opportunity to you could have maybe snuck one or two more kills in there but you also could have shown a little bit more of the kills yes granted that may have brought it out of a pg-13 realm into a rated r but like man really you're out here making horror movies I'm not out here trying to make PG-13 horror movies. I'm trying to make a horror movie. Whatever that comes out to, that comes out to. But yeah, I don't know. I did, however, love that the mom showed up in that final battle with the Zippo lighter flame. Like That was kind of a lighthearted moment that I was like, oh, okay, this is is a nice little touch. Listen, I've been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom lately, and I was like, yeah, we summoned that fucking sage. We summoned the sage, and she's joining the battle. And (laughs) honestly, it was a great moment. I was so happy for the mom. Thank you. But as much as I loved seeing the mom join that final battle, I do think it's going to make it a little bit tougher to watch emotionally. I need some time and space for this movie before I watch it again. But I simply must because I need to figure out if this is the Rob Savage Cinematic Universe. And I wish I had conferred with you before watching it earlier today because I could have done that for you. But oh, well, yeah, no, I've obviously already seen this movie twice in the the span of three days. So I'm going to take a beat. I'm going to take a beat for sure. But I, I do see myself watching this movie again in the future, right? Like I enjoyed it. It wasn't necessarily the greatest Stephen King adaptation by any means, like I said, but I had a good time. So we'll see it next year. We'll see it next year. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something that I'm going to necessarily put into my regular rotation, but I wouldn't mind watching this one again. I actually kind of want to watch the rest of the Boogeyman films, and I know they're not all related to each other, but I want to see what they're all about. I've only seen the 2005 one, and I don't remember that one being super great. So, in fact, I think we read the synopsis out loud after the movie, Chris, and it literally sounded exactly like Darkness Falls. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see how you fare on your Boogeyman rewatch. I think I'll stick to Michael Myers for now. But for now, there you have it, folks. The Boogeyman has earned a universal slash. While we've certainly had a lot to talk about here, it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. Were you afraid of the Boogeyman? Whether it be as a child, after this movie, let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. And if you've enjoyed listening to us dive into the depths of an age-old childhood fear, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. Thanks again to our friends at Creepy Crate for their support of Hacker Slash. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, there's no such thing as monsters. Did you check under the bed? Um.